I'm Jeff Gross. And I'm Laura Licona. We are back again for like another episode of Queen's Best, the, the podcast. podcast. I'm so excited, so excited, so excited. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Huge shout out to our global audience that is growing every day. So excited that people are listening to us from around the world. All around the world. Oh my gosh, great stuff. So last episode, just to bring you up to speed really quick, boots on the ground, not literally boots, but boots on the ground because we talked about the outreach team. We talked about the NYC. The SBRN. Thank you. And we talked about tech incubators as well. We also talked about our favorite go-to foods that uh, apparently Lauda likes the tacos. That's right. But the what you didn't share was the nacho, the gas station nacho. Well, I, I felt on the spot like I had to really choose one thing, so I couldn't tell too many stories. But, um, yeah, I I had an addiction to gas station nachos <laughs> when I was in college. <laughs> it's true. Addiction to gas station yeah. nachos. I mean, no that's the worst thing you could have been addicted to in college. But they were tasty, right? Yeah, oh, my gosh. I mean, in college, my thing was Sprite and peanut M&M's. Okay. Odd combination. Yeah. You could also it. get those down at the gas station. <laughs> you can get anything at the gas station. We didn't talk about that before. We also talked about walking food tours, which happens here in Queens on a regular basis. Yes, and all you have to do is Google it, look for culinary back streets, or find Joe Stefano, and you can do a walking tour. Joe will take you through the streets of Queens and get you fed. That's right. And we ate something. We did. We went the sweet route last time. Sweet's always good. Yeah, yeah. I say that because... I don't have a huge sweet tooth, but you, who loves the cheesecake. The cheesecake. Junior's cheesecake, too? Junior's, like junior's is good. Yeah. Cheesecake Factory is good also. Oh, I've never There's been also a cheese there's also a, a real not I won't say famous, maybe it is. There's a place, a spot in and forgive me, listeners, you know what it is. I don't remember. There's a spot in Manhattan that has really good it's outside of Queens, I'm sorry, but they have good cheesecake. Really good cheesecake. Huh. It's homemade, and I don't remember the name of the place. But yes, cheesecake is the place. As a food and restaurant person for my whole life, I, I just have to admit to you and to everyone that I didn't realize Cheesecake Factory actually had cheesecake. <laughs> I thought they were like an Applebee's. Really? Yeah. Cheesecake Factory <laughs> menu reminds me of Netflix. Oh. Because their menu, first of all, I was watching a special, and it was... Cheesecake Factory. Their menu has close to 250 items. Right. It's a book. But does it learn you like Netflix and it knows what your favorites are? And it gives you suggestions? You go go to your favorites. Like when you're, when you, when I go to Cheesecake Factory and it's been a really long time, I know what I want. With Netflix, I'll set and I'll flick and I'll flick yeah. and I'll flick. But you can't do that when you go to Cheesecake Factory because they'll put you out. You have right, to order something. you have something. to choose. You have to order something. Yeah. So this time around, Queen's Chamber is pulling out the big guns, and we'll talk about what that is all about. You're going to hear some more stories that we have to tell. We've got, we've got a bunch of them from our past, from our families, from folks that we love. And then there's... Queen's Night Market, so excited that we are 
in the midst of it right now as we speak it's happening and then we're gonna eat something right we have to it's it's tradition this is what we do but most important it's where we are on the on the scope and where we are in the podcast world and we can be found Anywhere you get your podcasts on Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, Podbean Bean app, Player FM, Samsung, and I think uh, Apple Podcasts soon. Apple Podcasts is coming. And we are on Instagram. You can find right. us all of this decadent food that we are consuming during the course of our episodes is available visually because food is visual is available to see on Instagram. We are Queen's Best Duh Podcast, D-A Podcast. Click on, check out the food, follow us, say something to us because we want to hear from you. That's right. And, yeah, off and running. So high profile, folks here at Queen's Chamber. Queen's Chamber does a lot, as you may be aware, and then again, maybe you aren't aware. But we have the ability to host and entertain high-profile guests. And this month, or this part of the month, we have two guests that are coming to share their information with us. MTA Chair and CEO Jana Lieber will join us to talk about what's happening at MTA. And it's important to have this opportunity, and we've talked about access before, to have this access to individuals such as a president and chair of the MTA. It's it's the transportation that moves 10 million people around the city. Right. So as, as part of the chamber, we offer that to you so you can actually sit, listen, and ask questions. I mean, where else can you go and ask questions directly to the chair and the CEO? Of a corporation like that. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's like having town hall inside the chamber. Exactly, and that's what we bring to you as a chamber of commerce. Also, this part of the month, our small we're having a small business. We're having a small. We're having a breakfast for small businesses, and D. A. Melinda Katz is joining us, wow. and it's meet and greet. So small businesses will have an opportunity to actually ask her questions and talk and find out what's happening in Queens. She's always been a friend of the chamber when she was Queensboro president. She was visited us on a regular basis. She attended a number of events that we hosted and we've always felt like there was that great kinship with Melinda Katz, now DA Katz. So great high profile guests and it's not the only guests who have come through. We've had a number of elected officials who have visited us as well. So it's access. And that's what the chamber provides is access to members and to non-members. Advocacy is another part of what we do here at the chamber. It's in our bylaws. Educate, network, and advocate. And we advocate on behalf of our members and non-members, well, members. And it's important. For instance, Nearest Tavern, who we talked about a couple of episodes ago, they were near, no pun intended, but they were nearly 
ready to close after XXX number of years being open. It was an issue that came up with the landowner and Queens Chamber stepped in and provided advocacy and allowed them to keep their doors open. So yeah. we advocate and it's the work that the chamber does stimulates business growth. So if you've never participated or been actively engaged with the Chamber of Commerce before, it's the time. Yeah. This is the A perfect time A lot of time amazing it. opportunities. It really is. So in the kitchen, when you're preparing Good and cooking, <laughs> I know, right? What is your signature dish? <sighs> well... If I'm in a commercial kitchen in a restaurant scene, um, I really get into making pâtés, pâté and croûte, um, any kind of like chicken liver mousses. Those were those were my specialties at my restaurant um, that I owned in Santa Fe, and uh, I had such a great time learning how to make all kinds of potted meats and pâtés. I love using the entire animal. So as a whole animal butcher, you try to use every single piece and not waste any at all. So a lot of the pieces other people might cast away as unusable. You make beautiful head cheeses and pâtés out of them, which I love. Um, but I also really like making handmade pastas. It's a very soothing, very easy, nice, wonderful process that um, when you get to use your hands in that way to knead dough, it's really similar to like getting your hands in the soil. Mm -hmm. um, they say soil chemistry changes brain chemistry. Mm. I think that's the same for when you're really using your hands to, to create. Um, so making handmade pastas in all kinds of different shapes is also a signature. Is pasta easy to make? It, it, looks, it looks complicated to me. I yeah. Don't do it. Have done it. Once you do it once, you can't stop. You get addicted because it does seem complicated, but it's not. It's easy. Really? Yeah. I meant to try it sometime. It's. Do you use that? There's a machine, that little device that you roll the pasta through. You use that. Once you make the dough and let it rest, yep, you can flatten it with a flattener. So you make your own pasta. Do you make your own sauce as well? If, say, you were making... All different kinds of sauces from all over the place. Traditional Italian sauces, French sauces, any kind of sauce. Is there a specific sauce or a special sauce that you prefer? I'm a carbonara kind of girl, and I like to add peas. Peas yeah. and carbonara? Yeah. What, how's that? I mean, what's the taste, the flavors that come out of that? Like bacony, pancetta, lardon. So it has uh, a rendered kind of bacon taste to it, and then there's some fresh egg added in and cheese and I like to put peas. I like peas. <laughs> you like peas? I do. <laughs> a peas lot. are good? Yeah. I like them better than cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dig. Um, <laughs> love it. Peas are good. I like peas. I like peas <laughs> with the little butter sauce. Mm. I mean, for, okay for me, I'm, I'm a semi-foodie, I'll admit, and a lot of my food, I hate to say it, but I'll admit to it. It's the little frozen vegetables that you can pop in the microwave yeah, and steam them. Those are tasty. Yeah. And I've had peas There's just nothing recently. wrong with that. But it sounds like, I mean. Do, do peas go into your signature dish in the kitchen? Peas do not go uh -huh. into my signature dish, which happens to be chili. Oh, for like Texas chili? Like Missouri, I guess I would have to say it's Missouri chili because I grew up in Missouri. But it's, I've perfected it over the years. 
I use ground turkey because I have used ground turkey now for probably 25 years. And you have to season, as you know, you have to season ground turkey because it has it's very bland. By itself. So it's ground turkey with tomatoes. So it's fresh tomatoes, and I cut those tomatoes up and let them simmer down and cook down. Three types of beans, a black bean, a kidney bean, and I've used a um, navy bean as well. Mm. And there's McCormick chili seasoning that I use. But in the Midwest, in Missouri, Williams makes a chili seasoning that's amazing. And oftentimes, if I, when I go home to visit, I'll pick up like three or four packs of Williams chili seasoning. And then when I make chili, when it's colder, as we're getting close to that here, mid-September, I've got my chili seasoning. Now I have to use McCormick because if I don't go home as much, I have to use McCormick. McCormick isn't bad. So you can't find the other one here? I can't find it here. It's only in the Midwest. Have you ever been in a chili cook-off? I have not participated in a chili cook-off. I take it you have. Well, I think they're incredible because everybody always has a secret ingredient that they put in their chili that they don't want to tell anyone about. Do you have a secret ingredient? I don't have a secret ingredient. I mean, now I've like disclosed well, the Williams to the then. world. <laughs> it, Williams, exactly. <laughs> but a chili cook-off, I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Maybe we can find a local one. That might be cool. Find me a chili cook-off and I'll jump into it and throw my... And then I'll, I'll come up with a special ingredient to go into my chili <laughs> for the chili cook-off. The secret ingredient. So family members are important, of course. We love our families, and our family members cook and get in the kitchen and do things. Is there something special? Is there a specific meal or a specific item that a family member of yours prepares that you're just like, mm, this is my favorite? Well, like a lot of like culture groups, Mexicans are food centric. <laughs> food is <laughs> essential to every single thing. And the part, the important part about family is you preserve what's essential and pass that down from right. one person to the next. Right. So it's very intergenerational in that you get to learn and you, you're going to learn other stories and learn more things about family members as you use food as that medium for storytelling and oral history. I used to interview um, my older aunts and great aunts and um, those members of the family about recipes and, and food from when they were young because we really did pass on tradition. And there were a lot of things like tamales and enchiladas mm. and different um, sauces like red and green chili sauces that we, we particularly did, you know, one way in the family. And um, I recently revisited a video of one of my aunts in El Paso, Texas, making my great-grandmother's albondigas, which those? are meatballs. It's like a meatball soup. Mm. And it's controversial because half of the family adds rice to the meatballs <laughs> and the other half does not. And she's not in the rice category. <laughs> and the meatballs are smaller and there's a certain way to make the broth. And yeah, it's there's so there's so many individual dishes, but it, that that act of storytelling and passing recipes down and recreating memories, I think it's really important. And the beautiful thing about food and family, I've heard so many people say over the years that they learn so much by watching their mothers and grandmothers in the kitchen. 
yeah. particularly at, at a younger age, not being a, aware of how to cook, but absorbed the knowledge of cooking by just being kind of like you're, you're there and you're experiencing it and it rubs off on you because you're visually experiencing it by just you're seeing it right. happen. Especially in so many cultures where people are, are low and slow, long cooking all day long. And that's something that's happening all day. So you can go into that kitchen setting and just be immersed in that experience. And you're adding, there's like various re- various ingredients that are added in and it, it's in your head. So aside from it, the recipe being on a card or on the back of a box or something, it's, it's this image that's seared in your brain like, I spent time with my grandmother or my mom while they were preparing this particular meal. Right. And my aunts always used to say, um, and this is a su gusto. So how, this is just however much you like. Whatever your personal taste is, that's how much salt you throw in. So the measurement for, for the salt for this dish is a su gusto. A su gusto. <laughs> and that makes it. How you like it. It's so much. It's better that way. I am. I don't cook all the time. I make oatmeal on a regular basis for <laughs> breakfast. I should know by now the measurements. I kid you not. Every morning when I make oatmeal, I pull out the measuring cup. I pour a half a cup. By now, I should just eyeball pop it. it in. I, yeah. I'm not good at eyeballing <laughs> food. I have to, I put the measure, except for my signature chili, which is going to get a special ingredient for the cook-off. 7-Up cake that my aunt makes is amazing. That is my all-time favorite go-to. It's this it's a bu- it's a pound cake yeah. essentially. No icing, just a very simple but delicious dessert. It's wonderful. I would like to try it. I'll have to, over the holidays. The holidays are growing uh, getting coming near. Over the holidays, I'll ask her to make one and I'll share it with you, but it is, when she makes this 7-Up cake, I tend not to share it with family members when I'm visiting, because it's mine. I live in New York. (laughs) They're in Missouri. She's there with them. They can have it all the time. I want this all to myself, but I, of course, I give in, and I'll cut a slice, (laughs) and I'll share with a friend, and I have a close friend that lives in the Kansas City area that I grew up with, a close childhood friend. Hey, Brad. And I shared a slice or two with him before I left when I was visiting last year. So He owes um, you. He <laughs> owes me, yes. And he likes food. Um, but I share. Yeah. So, well, Brad? I, yeah. I also heard that maybe you have a good story about uh, food that's outside of your comfort zone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, picture it. 14 years old. Back in Missouri, chitlins, or chitlins, as people call it, the nastiest thing you would... I I remember walking in and someone had the two-compartment sink filled with water soaking and trying to wash those, and I thought that was a pretty bad smell. Oh, my gosh. So most people know what chitlins are. They're the large intestines, usually in swine. And some people consider them a delicacy. Yes. 
Some people eat them year-round. Some people eat them only for holidays. I remember distinctly my sister-in-law would have chitlins, and my brother's like, those smell. I'm not coming into the kitchen while you're eating those. But she, a lot of people love chitlins. Lots of people. I tried it once. I was desperate and hungry at age 14. Tried it once. Vowed never to allow chitlins to hit my lips again. Mm. Nasty. Yeah. But they smell. Yeah, <laughs> the smell is putrid. It's really, really bad. I mean, I think that it's funny that my out-of-my-comfort-zone food is very similar. It's beef tripe. I mean, it's intestine. And my great-grandmother, Mema, she had one tooth left, and she was <laughs> almost blind, and she would be sitting with a big smile with one finger, almost like a crochet needle, braiding the tripe. And then, you know, they put it in menudo. And I, when I first ate it, I thought, this is inedible. It just bounces. You can't chew through. Why do people eat this? I don't understand. I'm, I'm not a fan of tripe and not chitlins So either. tripe would be yours. Yeah. Chitlins would be mine. And they're both intestines. What is it about? Well, you can't really bite through them. I don't get it. Chitlins are chewy. <laughs> yeah. It's like chewing gum, but it's... <laughs> I call it bouncy. Yeah. The bouncy, <laughs> bouncy food. Bouncy food doesn't make sense. People eat it all the time. I just... It's not for me. Yeah. But I tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to have chitlins nor tripe because we're going to try something. Oh my gosh. Are we going to eat? We're going to eat. Of course, we have to eat. Okay. Let's do it. All right. jumping right into this so <laughs> the food smells amazing that's all i can say i'm Yay. just gonna stop right there but there's this amazing i have to stop using that word i have to find another word I amazing mean, is amazing i know and queens is amazing so it's hard to not say there's that all so the much time. the world's borough is amazing but there's this activity that is taking place right now as we speak in queens known as Queen's Night Market. And it is incredible. Yeah. It's it's just an amazing space that was created by these people who were so interested in both highlighting culture, having an economical place where you can try out people's amazing food, helping to support small business. I mean, there were so many things that went into why a Queen's Night Market. But John Wang and Storm Gardner started it, mm -hmm. um, and now it has grown to 300 food vendors from 90-plus mm. countries mm. around the world. And the re only requirement for you know having your stall there or having your tent is that the food you make has to have a special relevance to your personal background and cultural heritage. 
So it's representative of these 90 countries. And John really wanted, you know, we live in a foodie city. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make sense that so many people can't afford to go and experience all of this food. So it's a way to have a little bit more of an economical approach to being able to taste 300 different vendors of food. It's just an amazing event, and it's um, on Saturday nights through the end of October. Nice. So it's starting literally right about now as we speak and running through the end of October. I wonder why fall of the year was the time frame they chose for... Well, it's been going. They're taking a pause because of the U.S. Open. Oh. And then they're back on September 17th so that there's not competition. Plus, I think there may be some overlap in vending there. That makes sense. But just taking a break, and it's summer nights every Saturday night. And they have all kinds of arts events, community events, um, lots of dancing it's it's incredible. It's a it's something that you can't miss. You have to go. So it's community and food. It's definitely on my calendar and on my radar yeah. to participate. Community and food, the two go hand in hand. And what is it about food that unifies people? What is that? I mean, we also have um, a good editorial in the August issue of This Is Queensboro that really focuses on that. Because restaurants really are the proxy for community health because people come together at the table. That's where all of discussions and decisions and wonderful things happen, meetings and partings and everything happens at the table. And restaurants have just always been a central part of gathering. And people are social. People gather. They gathered in taverns in the 1600s and they gathered in restaurants in the 1800s and I, I can't imagine a community space that didn't have that communal space. And I mean, it, it's community, communal, it's the same root. It brings people together. It's When, when I think about the, my early years, up to teenage years, growing up, visiting family, friends, and you would go to someone's house and there was always something to eat. And people always shared food. And in some cultures... It is disrespect if you don't eat something because they offer you food when they come to the house. Right, right. It's the channel through which that connection is made. Because if you didn't have an offering, at times it would be awkward to just sit in a room with no channel, no vessel for that offering. So the food is really that interconnector. It bonds you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. I can't wait to and check out the... Queen's Night Market. Yes, amazing. I wonder if this food is going to bond us, Jeff. What do we have here? I don't, I mean, it looks good. It smells good. Bonding, I think we're about to get bonded (laughs) through this. So what are we looking at? I'm the guinea pig. Yeah. Because Lauda is the food anthropologist, and she knows the ins and outs of all the food. I am the guinea pig, the quote-unquote semi-foodie. So I'm daring. This is steps and, and, yeah, I'm doing things I haven't done before. Well, I love it, too, because these are all of the businesses that we do outreach and advocacy with. And on our, you know, day-to-day walks through the neighborhoods, we don't stop and eat. We go in and we help mm. and we help with resources. So you hear a lot of stories about these restaurants and there's um, all of the like 
Facebook food groups who love, they have their favorite restaurants and they're really supporters and they stand behind them. And that's really what can make and break a restaurant is having loyal repeat customers. So this is Mojitos in mm. Jackson Heights. Mojitos. And Mojitos is awesome. It has so many flowers on the outside. And we'll have a photo of that in our Instagram. Yes. Um, but they are a Latin fusion restaurant. Okay. And I was trying to pick apart what Latin, trying to kind of figure it out. So I got us Maduro, Maduro. which is the pounded plantain. And mm. this one has beef. So that would be sort of, it would sound a little Cuban to me, but it's definitely fusion. Okay. And then this one I chose because I loved how it read on the menu. It was camarones al bacon, which I is bacon-wrapped shrimp. Bacon-wrapped <laughs> shrimp. It yeah. looks good. So we'll have to give it a try. Let's. I'm going to try the bacon-wrapped shrimp that I can't pronounce. Okay. I'm not going to stick this <laughs> skewer in my mouth like that because it'll like... This is incredible because that maduro is so neat. Just the whole plantain pounded down. Hmm. The chicken wrapped shrimp is delicious. Is it good? All right, I'll try this. It's really good. Hmm. Pretty stand, pretty straightforward bacon wrapped shrimp, but good. I know, right? So the plantain. Tell me the name of this again. Maduro, and the plantain is very sweet, and then you have the savory meat. And I have to say that that sweet and savory mixture is not as common in Mexican cooking. So it does kind of always hit me right at the front, like sweetness in your savory is a, a little bit different, but I still very much like it. That's really good. Yeah. That I would have never imagined a plantain with meat or... That's spicy. Is this the green is spicy? Oh, yeah. That just made my eyes fire up. Are you going to put some on the... Maybe dip this in it. Dip it in there? So, once again, the plantain and beef, which I'm not going to even attempt to... Maduro. Maduro. Yeah, because it's mature. This is tasty. This is really good. To Mojitos is a really great restaurant in Jackson Heights for any kind of a gathering to take your friend's family and go and eat. D... Delicious. And as Lauda shared, this the image of this will be on our Instagram, Queen's Best Duh Podcast on Instagram. And you can see an image of this amazing food that we are sampling. That's right. And be adventurous and go support your local business. Peace and love to you. Thank you for listening. And again, Queen's Chamber website is www.queenschamber.org. And until next time, catch you then.